0: St. Warburg's Derby. Unusual for me to be standing here at uh, 11 o'clock at night. If you don't know me, my name is Andy. I'm the Associate Minister here at St. Warburg's. And if you're a guest here tonight, we are so pleased to have you with us, to have a come and celebrate Christmas with us. I'm just going to pray before I begin. Father God, thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you for the truths of the songs that we've been singing. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to see more of your story this evening? Amen. The last few days in my house, maybe actually the last few weeks to be honest, have involved quite a lot of Christmas films. I even managed to sort out free Netflix for 30 days because they weren't on Prime this year, they were all on Netflix. So, um, and I don't know, I don't know what your favourite film might be. Maybe it's that classic of Home Alone. Before the service started this evening, there was that song going, and I was like, oh, Home Alone. So I don't know, maybe Home Alone is your favourite Christmas film. Or maybe it is Love Actually, which is 15 years old this year. Can can be like 15 years. Maybe it's Elf. There's been a lot of Elf memes going around, a lot of Elf gifts on WhatsApp over the last few weeks. Maybe you're a little bit old school and it's a wonderful movie. What is it about films that means that so many of us love them. Well, they make us laugh and they make us cry. They make us scared. And even occasionally, Hollywood manages to do something incredible, which is actually make us think. It can mean, quite profound every now and then. And why do they do that? Because films tell stories. Now, it may be that you're like a friend of mine who I spoke to uh, a little while ago, and they said, Andy, I haven't watched a film in 40 years. So... Maybe you're like that, but perhaps you read stories. Or perhaps you're an EastEnders fan or a Coronation Street fan. You enjoy soaps or you listen to the archers. Maybe um, you're a person who doesn't do any of that stuff, but actually you enjoy telling stories. So you get together, your family, your friends. Oh, do you know what happened to me the other day? This thing happened, that thing happened. You're a person who enjoys stories. You see, story is one of the main ways as human beings that we communicate with one another. I'm sure we've all been there with somebody who has been really good on details, but you just get lost as they're talking, and you just can't remember anything they've said. But if you hear a good story, it sits with you, doesn't it? And you think, ah, I'm going to retell that story, if it's a good one. Now, I don't know if any of you watch Westworld on Sky Atlantic, the first series I found incredible, just a great series. So many deep questions asking, what does it mean to be human? What's it, what is it about consciousness? What about morality? Ed Harris, the character he played, and he said this. He said, this whole world is a story. I've read every page except the last one. I need to find out how it ends. I need to know what it all means. And you see, the interesting thing is that God has chosen the medium of story to communicate with us. And tonight, on this special, this divine night, as it were, when Christ was born, we revisit that story, which for everybody in the room is going to be familiar to some degree or another. For some of us, it may be it was when we did a nativity as a kid. And for others, we've come back into this sort of building or with other people that love and know Jesus year after year. And we know the story so well. The story of a baby born to a couple through miraculous means. One who Matthew tells us has been prophesied hundreds of years before his birth. And he'd come to be something and to do something incredible. All of us are surrounded by stories all the time. And by using the word story, I don't mean to imply this thing isn't true. I just want to highlight the way in which we're being communicated with. You see... I suspect one or two of us in this room will have hit the shops over the last few weeks. Get a present here, a present there. So let's think about a brand like Apple. It's well known that Apple doesn't try and sell us their MacBooks, their iPhones, their iWatches on their specifications. What they do is they tell us a great story. They tell us how life will be easier, how much cooler we'll be, how much more amazing our life will be if we buy their product. They tell us a story and then invite us into it. A few years ago, there was that incredible story of Leicester City. I doubt there's many Leicester City supporters in the room. There might be more than where I come from in London, but actually as the season went on, more and more people around the country bought in to the story of seeing this underdog team. It's like, oh my goodness, do you think these guys might actually be able to do it? He bought into the story of these guys winning the league. News reporters, they do it all the time, don't they? They know that if they put up stats of hundreds of thousands here or you know, uh, tens of thousands here, actually, we just kind of switch off. But we hear a story about somebody's life, like one person. Do you remember with the, the, the refuge refugee captured people's hearts? The story of the one, but the numbers often we can't relate to. Personal stories, they grab us. The stories behind X Factor, the stories, people's personal experiences are like, oh yeah, now I want to vote for this person, Maybe. And all the time, all of us are subconsciously being shaped by stories. And I'm not saying this is a good or a bad thing. I'm just, often we don't even realise it's happening. My, my son and my daughter, often they sit and they watch Nick Jr. And every few minutes, a, an advert comes on that says, if you get this toy, or if you buy this thing, or if your parents, actually at their age, get it for them, your life will be so much happier. You'll be so much better. And the number of requests we've had from them for this Christmas. But at the deepest level of our being, all of us are living a story. We've got stories and we're not aware of. it? And so I know it's late this evening, and we've probably had lots of getting ready, and maybe there's tomorrow's on our mind. But I want to ask us five quick questions to make us think about the story we live by and to view this very, very famous story again. We're going to look at what Matthew says, and then we're going to look at our story. We're going to look at our story as well. And so, just to give it a bit of Christmassy feeling, I want to give you examples of how we might answer these questions if we were in that great film, Home Alone. If we were Kevin from Home Alone, um, how might we answer these questions? So, the first question is, where are you? Well, if you're Kevin, you live in the 1990s in a large house with a rich family in America. You've got loads of cousins and you want cheese pizza, if I remember rightly. The second question is, who are you? Well, for Kevin, he's the youngest child in this big family. He's easily forgotten. He's mischievous, but he often seems to come out on top. And his big brother is especially mean to him. What's gone wrong for Kevin? Well, he's been forgotten. He's been left in this big house. He's scared of his basement. And burglars want to rob every house on his street, including the one that he's home alone in not a great situation for a young boy, really. What's the solution? Well, Kevin decides, I know what I'm going to do. With my own ingenuity, I'm going to create loads of booby traps to trap the burglars, to send them away. Eventually, I'll call the police after I've had lots of fun. And thankfully, my next door neighbor also helps me out. So that's the solution to his problem. What happens when he dies. Well, we don't really find out much about that in the story. It would look like from the burglars. Actually, it's quite hard to die in Home Alone. I read a piece recently that they would have been A&E from that very early on uh, bit bit of the film. But actually, if you do die in Home Alone, if it was possible to die in Home Alone, we don't get any sense there's anything afterwards. You just kind of rot in the ground and are eaten by worms. That seems to be the end of it, really. Um, That's the end of Home Alone. But... Those are the answers f- to a family comedy, a family Christmas comedy. What about me? What about you? Where are you? Well, for all of us here tonight, we're in St. Werberg's, but many of us probably live in or around Dot. But actually, most of us live in the West in 2018. That's where we are. Who are you? We did an incredible series at Werbs uh, over the past few months, trying to answer this question, looking at what Jesus might say about who we are. But actually, if you ask most people in the street, who are you, they'd say, I'm a daughter, I'm a son, I'm an engineer, I work at McDonald's, I'm an uncle, I enjoy going race car watching, I enjoy football, I enjoy knitting. I don't know, like how they would define themselves, but those are the sort of things people might answer to the question, who are you? How would you answer that question? What's gone wrong with... The world? What's the problem? Lots of people would give different answers to that, I reckon. Some people would probably say Donald Trump. Some people might say Remainers. Some people might say Brexiters. Some people might say politicians. Some people might say lack of education. Some people might say patriarchy. Some people might say feminism. Like We'd all have different answers if you asked what the problem with the world is. What would you, how would you answer that question? Probably don't turn to the person next to you. You might find there's a different view next to you and you might uh, get into a fight before Christmas. That wouldn't be good. What's the solution to the problem? Well, if you think lack of education is a problem, then you're going to say education is the answer. If you think Donald Trump is the problem, then perhaps getting rid of him and then bringing somebody else in might be the solution to your problem. Depends what you think the problem is to what your solution may, may well be. And then... This is a hard one. What happens when we die? This is not a question we want to really think about on Christmas Eve. Many people would say, well, you kind of get reincarnated, you come back as something. Some people say, that's it, life just stops. And other people would say, do you know what? I just really don't want to think about it. I don't even want to approach that question. I'm just going to get on with my life as it is. How do we answer those questions? But I want to look at this evening how the writer of the bit we heard earlier on, Matthew, how would Matthew answer these questions? Matthew, to the question of where are you, would say, I'm living in the Middle East about 2,000 years ago, and I'm going to start my story about Jesus with loads of details about his family, which today we find boring, but for Jews in the day, that was very, very important because you knew where Jesus came from, you knew where he was going to. That's where Matthew would say he was. Who are you? Well, he was a Jew, and he knew parts of God's early story. He worshipped, and he knew a God who'd revealed himself through prophets he had sent. He knew that God loved them. He wanted a relationship with them. But he knew that also his people hadn't been great at living up to what God had called them to. So they were expecting somebody who was going to come and save them, a Messiah, an anointed one, a Christ. Matthew would have said, Do you know what? I'm a member of God's people, and that gives me purpose and meaning for my life. That's how Matthew, I think, would have answered the question. And then, what about what's the problem? How would Matthew have answered that question? Well, have we. Issue of sin that we need saving from. We've sung it in a whole bunch of songs, and we know from elsewhere that sin isn't just kind of about weight watchers, it's not about something about being a little bit naughty. But it's actually, if you think about story, it's about saying who's going to be the author of your story? Who's going to be the director of your story? Sin can be perhaps the easiest thing for us to understand, but also for some of us the hardest. For some of us, do you know what, we'll look around us and we'll kind of see the headlines or our Twitter feeds and go, do you know what, I know the world is in a mess and that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. We say, okay, I, I, I can kind of accept that. For other of us, do you know what? We're going to get twitchy and go, sin? I don't really like that idea. That sounds like the kind of stuff I rejected when I was a child or kind of when I wandered away as a teenager. I, I, that sounds a bit religious, really. I'm, I'm not that bad a person. I'm, I'm quite nice. I, I try and be good to people. I'm, I'm not sinful. But actually, sin isn't about obeying rules and regulations. But it's actually about, you know, that would be thinking of a child and their parent as kind of, you know, just, just simply being obedient to them. But what the parent wants with the child is relationship. And that is what God wants with us. You see, Christians, we don't try and earn our relationship with God. We don't try and be good because of, to try and earn that with him. We, 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 we seek to live out lives of love because, of what? because God loved us first. So what's the solution to this sin problem? How would Matthew answer that? Well, Matthew says, God is With us, And not just kind of, just sending people to kind of come and tell us about him, but the Christmas stories that God took on flesh. He came and lived among us. God the Son, Jesus Christ, both fully human and fully God. And this allows our story to become part of his big story. And Jesus entered our world. He showed us how to live in line with God's story. He willingly went to the cross in our place. And he made a way for us to be saved from our sin and the consequence of our sin. Just incredible. Christmas always points towards Easter. I know Christians kind of, they're like, oh, you keep banging on about the cross. But actually, I cannot view the manger without seeing the cross alongside it. Because that's why Jesus came. And so how would Matthew answer question five? What happens when we die? You see, the God with us isn't just about now, but it goes through into eternity if we love and we know Jesus. And you see, you might think, Annie, why do we have that bizarre reading about the lion and the lamb laying down with each other? What was that about? That doesn't sound like a Christmas reading to me. But actually, God's story doesn't end now. It goes into new heavens and new earth. It goes into where God makes everything right again. I don't know if you can imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been. The most incredible experiences you've ever had. On the flip side, maybe those unfulfilled longings where something doesn't quite feel right. It's it's amazing, but actually it points to, this isn't quite it. I was saying to Phil before the service, just about Christmas, that Christmas can be amazing and and brilliant and we can have a great time with family, but sometimes also just make us feel a little bit empty. It doesn't quite fulfill all the kind of the glitz and the glamour and the, the sparkle because it's pointing to something beyond itself. It's pointing to Jesus. And one day, God is going to sort out the injustice and the pain. He's going to right the wrongs. I don't know, thinking of great stories, a great story I love is Lord of the Rings. I actually read them, which is very unusual for me. I don't normally read fiction. I'm a little bit bad. I got convicted about that by a blog this week. Um, but actually, you could just watch the films if, if you don't read fiction. Um, but there's that bit towards the end, and Samwise Ganji turns to Frodo and he says, Mr. Frodo, is everything sad going to come untrue? Mr. Frodo, is everything sad going to come untrue? And Jesus' answer to that is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Personally, I grew up in a family which went to church. Church was something we did. I kind of imbibed faith from an early age. But actually, for a long time, it was just kind of head knowledge. And then when I was age 16, over a period of six months, God invaded my, way, invaded my life in an incredible way. God suddenly went from somebody I knew about to somebody that I knew. There's a whole bunch of things that happened in that time, but just a few things that come to mind. My godfather was an aid worker in Ethiopia, and he, I didn't know him very well. But unfortunately, he was killed in a plane hijacking. And as a 16-year-old guy, I went to his memorial service. Now, not everybody died on that plane hijacking, but they told the story of these guys who worked for Tear Fund who went around praying for people. They said, if you don't know Jesus, this might be a really good time to get to know him. Can we pray for you? He wasn't a big, loud person, gentle, loving man. He went around praying for people. And as a 16-year-old guy, I went to this service, and I was like, oh my goodness, in the midst of that tragedy, this story about Jesus has changed these people's lives. And during that time, God began to change my life. And for the past 20 years, in fact, plus 20 years, God has been changing my life. It doesn't mean everything is sorted. It doesn't mean that everything is brilliant. It doesn't mean that life is always okay. But it does mean that God goes with me as I've tried to align my story with his story. And so the clock is ticking. But I want to say to you, this Christmas story is the story of stories. Every other story points to his story. That story of a princess waiting for her prince. That story of somebody sacrificing their life for somebody else. That story where we're longing and seeking for a happy ending. They point to this story. They point to God's story. And so I want to ask us this evening, which story or storyly? Is it the story of the underdogs of Leicester City? Is it the story of scientific progress or political progress? Or the story maybe life's really hard and it's just the story of just getting by? Or is it the story of the one who entered our world as a baby? Is it the story of one who wasn't just a great teacher but also said he was God? Is it the story of the one who didn't just tell us to love our enemies, but loved them even when he was nailed to a cross? Is it the one who said that one day he would return, to put it all right again? Now I know this evening it's late, and it's probably not the time to have deep introspection about your story and about your life. But if you're an Instagrammer, you're a Facebooker, you're a Twitter. I'm going to put up these questions, these five questions over the next few days. And so when the turkey has been eaten and when the crackers have been pulled and when you've played with any toy or watched any film you've got, I don't know what it is you'll get up to. But actually when that is over and done with, can I encourage you to come back to those five questions and ask them about which story you're living for. And when you've done that, this is, my, this is my little plug on Christmas Eve. Joe, if you'll allow me that. You might have seen, if you're kind of observant, there's a whole bunch of things around the room with question marks on. We love something called Alpha here, and it's an opportunity to ask those kind of questions about our stories. It kicks off on 30th of January. There's flyers on your seats. We'd love you to come and find out more. If you want more information, do sign up over there.